It's actually going to be legitimately difficult to talk about this episode without basically spoiling other series's plural. So, uh, rather than get into that topic, I'm just going to kind of leave that topic by the wayside. Because honestly, I don't really feel like there's a lot to discuss there, and that's kind of the point. They have this big eugenics plot. Woo, eugenics, that's cool, I'm with it. And then they just sort of stop being about eugenics. Very quickly, I might have. Excuse me. Just, hmm. Now, what's funny about this episode is if you look at the various interviews from people about it, and all the people in the writing room and the creator staff, all of them seem to disagree on how they think it turned out. Uh, some people think it was good, acceptable, great, awful, and horrible, respectively. I'm actually curious what you guys think. Just right now, what did you think of this episode overall? We had some decent guest stars this week. Uh, let's see here. We had Hannah Bates, who played Arissa over in Deep Space Nine. We had Ron Canada, who played Chipok uh, over in Deep Space Nine. And John Snyder, who played Bakra back in uh, Enemy Mine, I think it was, or The Enemy, something like that, back in Season 3. Some surprisingly decent actors here. Although, I don't think John Snyder is the best, but I do think all three of them do a decent job of their roles. And basically showing the si their sides of the argument, basically. Because uh, Snyder, who's played Aaron Connor, he's in the middle. Uh, Hannah Bates, played by... Or, excuse me, that's not her name. I don't know the character name. The woman that Hannah Bates plays is on the progressive side, and Ron Canada, playing Martin is on the traditionalist side. So we see all three arguments there. The problem is, the episode fails. It's not a bad episode, in my opinion. I don't think that they are. it's, it's as horrifically constructed as too many episodes, but this is an exceptionally Hollywood episode. Things that should be thought about aren't. Everything that should happen happens way too quickly. They keep shifting focus away from the actually interesting character and, and you know greater concept stuff in order to focus on the tech plot. The tech plot's surprisingly well done. I'll actually give them credit on that one. And then they've got uh, a really weird, frankly preachy ending, which is done in total contrast to the frankly weird and total preachy intro. It's just the perspective of shift. In the intro, it's like, this is horrible. And at the end, it's like, we are horrible. It's too rote, too patterned. That's, that's the wrong word. I, I hate to say too predictable because I, I'm actually very against the idea of trying to deliberately do unpredictable writing because I, I feel that's usually to the detriment of the work. But I don't know what else to call this episode. It, I, I could have predicted this entire episode in my sleep. It is so... <sighs> It doesn't do anything. You don't have to do something new to do something interesting, but this does neither. Let me use uh, Ron Canada's character, Martin, as an example. He is the obstinate, uh, obstructionist bureaucrat for the episode. Okay. So he's the guy who's on the traditionalist side and says, we shouldn't talk to them. No, we shouldn't let them land. No, we shouldn't do anything with them. Okay. Here's the thing. He has a valid point. He really does. But the episode doesn't even once try to actually show that as a valid point. Instead, he is basically just the guy who's here to be like, Wah! and every time someone actually asks him the relevant question, 
okay, what's your alternate idea? Or we would have all been dead if they hadn't showed up. He doesn't actually respond to that directly at all. He never establishes an actual point to his side. His side is just, they shouldn't be here. Why? Well, because they shouldn't be here. It is actually placed throughout the episode. It is actually stated passively in the episode that this guy would have rather they all died horribly than this interference happen. Now, the thing is, there is an actual argument there, a real legitimate one, not one that's like traditionalism. Because as I've said many times, I'm fine with traditions as long as they have a reason. And his traditions do actually have a reason. But doing our traditions to the point of the death, well, that doesn't sound very traditional, does it? Well, at the same time, let me ask you... this. I, I basically am going to be playing devil's advocate here because I'm going to try to turn this episode into something more interesting than it is. How many of you, either you yourself or someone you know, have an ideal you would die for? You probably already know where I'm taking this discussion. Because the idea here is these people, and this is hinted at very quietly in the background, these people have been here for a long time. They've been here so long that transporter technology is some new exciting thing to them. Transporters existed in Enterprise's time. These people have been here since the Eugenic Wars, which makes sense, actually. The people who originally came here and set this up were probably people who were basically doing another version of eugenics. They mention in the episode that rather than going in and specifically altering the individual to make someone like Khan, instead what they do is they plan it out very specifically who pairs with whom and what, and then do some uh, alterations over time so that's more of an evolutionary eugenics, as in more what we actually do in real life, you know, husbandry, right? Except very carefully planned and very carefully mapped out. Basically a less horrible version of the same kind of stuff that was the ideal of the time. Thus, we have this ideal, this masterpiece society. It's right there in the title. It's a, planned, it's a planned community. And every piece of it is required for it to function. Without any piece, it falls apart. Ergo, the idea here is they are faced with a fundamental choice. Lose their society. Just, just lose it. Or go ahead and die. Now, that's actually an interesting dilemma. I know there's some people who won't think that, and that's valid, because some people would be like, why would they bother dying for this? But again, the argument that could have been leveled is if he was sufficiently, if he believed sufficiently in this cause as to effectively say, this is worth dying for. I would rather die than embrace whatever horrible thing happens in the, in the, uh, the perversion of this society. Now, I, that being said, you would have to work, this, that would basically make him a villainous character, wouldn't it? You would have to work to try and flesh that out a little bit more. Basically make it so that he is not trying to say everyone else has to stay and everyone else has to die. Rather that he himself basically says, look, I am willing to die. There's a ship out there if you want to go, go. In other words, he, would be, he wouldn't be the villain of, you know, in, in a horrible sense, wanting people to die and, and burn. Rather, he would be the villain in the sense that he would be against the plan to make it so that people could stay. Remember, the original intent was they were just going to evacuate because they didn't have another choice. It wasn't until Jordy and What's-Her-Face worked together. I'm going to look up her name. Jordy and What's-Her-Face worked together in order to make it so that they could stay. So that that was even on the option. Hannah Bates. It is Hannah Bates. I did write it down. Played by Day Young. Okay, Day Young is the actress, sorry, and Hannah Bates is the character. 
anyways. So in that sense, you could have restructured his role so that he's like, what? no, 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 there's no reason to try and salvage the colony. There's no reason to try and move the star. Just get, and anybody who wants to leave, just get off and get on the ship and go. I'm going to stay here, you know, and I'm going to die with my things. And there, and it would be nice if we showed there were some people who were on his side on that, because there would be people on his side on that, right? Instead, he just comes across as someone who has no answers for anything. It's just like, Wah! the entire time. While I'm complaining about the episode, why is there a romance in this episode? I... Okay. I know I have a bit of a negative opinion, and I, I've gotten so many comments from you guys every time I bring up the romance of the week thing. But if there is one episode that most exemplified what I despise about the romance of the week concept, it is this episode. There is actually a scene where Troy and, uh, what's his face, I guess, uh, Connor, where Troy and Connor are like, hey, yeah, this is kind of neat. They kind of do this little thing, and then there's like, Mwah. And then the very next scene they have together, which is actually two scenes later, it's, it's that, then it cuts away to Jordy and the crew, and then it cuts back to them, and they're doing the big breakup scene. Oh, no, we can't be together. It would be so easy to fall in love with you, but we can't be together. We are star-crossed lovers. The whole thing's crap. I'm sorry. It is too rushed. It, it basically feels like it was shoved into the episode. An episode that already has two other plots main going. The main plot, which the episode barely acknowledges, which is the nature of the society itself, and the threat of the weak plot with the star core. And then there's also the love plot with Troy and him. They even take this moment out where Picard and her have to have this big old thing where they say, oh, Captain, I've screwed up horribly. I'm so sorry. And Picard's like, no, nah, it's cool. I, I like to think that Picard's thinking, I don't care. Troy, why are you telling me this? I don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry, Deanna, you're my friend and I care about you, but I do not care about your love life. Why are you telling me this? Uh, why? Why is it there? You, you don't tell me you can't still have the two connect. In fact, what I would have liked, so just to, to really subvert everyone's expectations here, I'm sorry for using such a cliched term, but here's what I would have done. Have them connect, really connect. Have there be some actual camaraderie together. The psychologist who studies human behavior, and remember, has no powers. I'm going to keep pointing it out because what, she doesn't even bring it up in this episode. Any of her sensing abilities isn't even mentioned. So it just kind of slides nightly, nicely in there that this woman, who has probably increased her studies of human psychology and behavior and being able to read people since she doesn't have the scanning anymore... And the Masterpiece Society of Crafted People and Crafted Jobs. Imagine, I imagine Troy would be fascinated by that. And I imagine he would be fascinated by her. Because she is a piece of a puzzle that doesn't even begin to fit with the picture he, he exists within, right? Two completely different puzzle boxes, basically. And yet, the specific type of piece she is, is specifically designed to be able to interact with and integrate into other puzzle boxes. Because her whole shtick is understanding nature and concepts and social norms and behaviors and all that fun stuff, which would allow her to very neatly not only fit in, but to understand the nature of the society, thus making her fascinating to him. And make it more gradual. Make it like towards the end of the episode. They share like one kiss as they, they begin to start having romantic feelings. As they start to begin to feel closer to each other. And then, of course, he decides to stay. And she, of course, is going to leave, leading to the inevitable conclusion. Rather than this, oh, 
Oh, no, we can't be together. Don't do that. Don't, don't like, build up a relationship and then crash it down in 44 minutes. Build up a relationship in 44 minutes and then chop it off. If you're going to do it at all, I still think just ejecting the romance would be the correct choice, but I could see why it would be there. I could see why both people would be interested in each other and why it wouldn't go anywhere. So there's actually a logical explanation for both. <clears throat> you know, it's funny how many xenophobic groups there are. We've encountered several in Season 4 and in Season 5. We technically encountered several back in Season 2 as well, if you remember all the colonies we kept running into. And here's another one. Here's another colony. What I find funniest about this place is these people... Like, if the Enterprise just hadn't happened to be studying this core fragment, these people would have just friggin' died, and that would have been it. The end! Oh, what's that? Oh, I don't know. Shaka, 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 and then they're dead. <laughs> I, um... I, I do like how they're all... Everyone's just enamored by the transporters. You know what? I like that. Because transporters are extremely high-advanced technology. They are so advanced that I've actually debated many times if transporters should exist in my own setting at all because of the, the nature of what is required to make a transporter that doesn't kill you or, and copy you every time you do it. I, I still think there is a way to do it, but it's effectively magic science at that point. Or magitech, if you prefer. So, I mean, looking at this, is like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm with them on that, right? <laughs> um... I look at my notes here. I've already kind of mentioned several of these things. You know, generational eugenics. Um, there's this bit where they discuss, you know, how, how, what about a, a person who is a poet who has, a, who has never written great poems and yet is a laborer, right? That's actually an interesting debate. This is the debate the episode never brings up because the episode basically doesn't actually address its first point. This is my biggest problem with the episode by far. It has a very fascinating topic that it just throws out the window. Like, at, at like the 20-minute mark. Just, okay, we're done with that. Because the topic is basically an engineered society, which is a concept that exists in real life and has been tried several times in real life, although usually not with the tech and or resources to really be able to actually implement it. So it's it, even now in real life, it's still in the theoretical stages. But the idea of having a truly planned out society, because with the right leanings, with the right husbandry, like I already mentioned. You can make people who are more inclined towards certain things. A kid who's excellent at playing piano, to use a direct example. Or someone who is inclined to being scientific, or someone who is inclined to being charismatic, etc., etc. And then, of course, the society then weans them and grows them into that role and teaches them specifically what they need to do that. Thus, they not only have the inclination, but the training. Make sense? In other words, it's not like they're programming people as they're born to be an administrator. They give them small inclinations, and then it is the years of teaching and training that then make them, you know, being a good administrator or whatever. That makes a lot of sense to me, and is fascinating as a concept, because the positive seems so obvious. The idea of being able to live in a society where you actually feel fulfilled and are doing something that you want to do and that you're good at. Oh, you know what I mean by that, right? How many things do you like to do that you're not good at? I can think of several myself, right? So... There's, there's an obvious benefit to that. There's an obvious uh, appeal to that very concept. And I also like... Well, okay. I'm going to get into a slightly controversial topic here. And I know you all hate it when I don't fence it. 
it is my opinion that, at least here in the States, because I can't speak for other nations because I've never really gone to them, but at least here in the States that the, what, the biggest problem, the single biggest problem with the education system is the fact that it in no way tries to help people decide what kind of careers they want to and should, which may be different topics, get into when they actually you know, leave the education force and go into the workforce. Um, there are, of course, excep exceptions to this, but I could tell you a dozen stories anecdotally right off the top of my head from me, friends, and family where the career counselor didn't do anything. Like, you, you had to usually go out of your way to meet with the career counselor. And the career counselor is usually someone who's just another job. Like, in, in my case, it was actually the cheerleader uh, coach of my high school. She was a nice woman. I actually liked her quite a bit. But she... You, she wouldn't reach out to you. There's no seminar. There's no, okay, you know, you're, you're in your junior year. We need to start figuring this out. Or like None of that. Even under the ideal circumstances, kids are not prepared for the, work, for the workforce, for trying to aim at a particular career. I cannot tell you how many people I know who just kind of were like, well, I guess I'll go into such and such because that's what everyone else is doing right now when they went into college, and that was a mistake. I myself have a college degree that I am completely failing on utilizing properly. I mean, I guess I did get some use about it. It was a generic uh, computing, BS and CIS. Uh, so extremely generic degree, valid, but I never got anything out of that because it was just, well, I guess I'll go do that, right? My point being, it takes someone who is very familiar with reading, understanding, and knowing people who has a breadth of knowledge and information about the kinds of work concepts that exist out there and careers that exist out there. And this is most important of all, someone who is motivated to try and help other people to get into those jobs as needed. Now, I know that this is real life, and that's probably never going to happen on a large scale. But there's a reason why several fictional concepts will actually deliberately go out of the way to basically invent either a tech or a magic or a science or even a role or like a droid of someone who will fulfill this role that real life basically doesn't have because well because it's easy to see why that is such a huge bottleneck to society you got all the kids here and you got all the adults here and they're trying to do this and it's just uh, they don't know where to go properly so they just kind of a bottleneck's not a great analogy but you get the point Thus leading me to this episode. I swear I was going to bring it back to this episode eventually. Because the idea here is what if someone actually did that for you? Now granted, again, you have an inclination. You have an assignment. But as you're growing up, you're really into you know, making stuffed animals. You love making stuffed animals. You're so cute. And so you receive the training. You receive the effort. I... One of the things I have always lamented, I know it's not realistic. It's a fantasy. But one of the things I've always lamented is the fact that there's no possibility to basically become a, an apprentice in real life, right? Imagine if something that you're really interested in. Some people don't even know what they're interested in. That's the other problem, by the way. So I'm sure at least some of you get this. You look at this and you're like, if someone was able to tell you this is what you're interested in and you are interested in it, you know, this isn't like a dystopian kind of a thing, but rather, you know, oh, wow, I'm really into whales or whatever, and then you actually have the ability to apprentice and train and learn. You're not only told or helped in finding what you want to be, but you are then given the tools and attention and resources necessary to explore that. I was extremely fortunate, and I've always admitted this, that I had a mother and a father who were very encouraging to me as I tried to figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life. And as I slowly branched out into just a weird, seemingly unconnected series of topics, which eventually led to me doing this job right here, 
No joke. I mean, there's a reason I've studied so many things throughout the course of my life. Because those things fascinated me, and all of them allowed me to do this, to be able to sit, discuss, and analyze with you guys. I was fortunate to have that. Not everyone gets that. So you can kind of see the positives of this society, right? Now, that's very important to emphasize. I've spent so much time on this because the positives are the kind of things that really I feel the episode doesn't establish properly. What's-his-face, Connor, has like a two-minute scene trying to espouse the benefits of his society. And then Picard, by himself, has a two-minute scene He's talking about how it's horrible and awful, which is just frankly preachy. But I do want to talk about why it's horrible and awful, too, because I want to showcase both sides, because I'm on the middle of the fence. See, you ever heard of a caste system? Because that's what this is. <laughs> I don't even need to keep going, really, do I? Like I said, the, de the detriments, the negatives of the system are obvious. You are born to be a whale person. And that's that. You don't get to choose. You don't get to, to branch out. Theoretically speaking, you're probably interested in this, but that's because you were bred to be. Which, I mean, God, let's not even get into the ethics of breeding people to like something. I mean, it's been a theorized thing for many times. What if, what if people were specifically bred to really like manual labor, right? I mean, that, so many dystopias use that very concept. It's kind of, it's messed up for obvious reasons, right? Because they like being, you know, effectively servants, but only because we forced them to like that. And this, of course, gets into the super gray morass of morality, which is at what point do they have the right to choose, that is such a gargantuan topic, I don't even want to get into it, to be completely honest. But I bring that up because the matter of choice is effectively taken out of people's hands in this episode, in this society. They are not allowed to say, um, yeah, yeah, please, I, I'm okay with you going ahead and breeding this into me as long as I'll have a fulfilling life from it. Because I guarantee you, there are people out there, probably people listening to me right now, who would be okay with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's their choice. And you see the problem. Because they don't get that choice. They're born that way. Because uh, I guarantee you there are also people who would be like, no, that's not cool. Don't do that to me. But there's no way to pull the fetus, you know? There's no way to say, all right, all right. Get, the, get the stethoscope here. Okay, listen. Listen, yeah, okay. Um, hey, Bob. Yeah, I need you. Hang on. He's moving. He's shifting. He, why is he kicking? I need you to tell me if you're okay with being genetically engineered towards really liking, you know, whatever, whales. I'll keep using that example. Huh? Okay. He says he's hungry. Let's get, let's, get him, let's get the mother some more food. Okay, Bob, Bob, focus. You can't do that. It's not an option. And that's why this actually presents an interesting dilemma, doesn't it? Because <laughs> it's not like you can engineer someone to fit into a specific piece in the puzzle after the fact. It's designed well in advance. So the society thing literally won't work if freedom of choice is offered. <laughs> now, um, look at my notes here. I talked about that. I talked about that. There is, of course, like I said, the episode gets a little bit too preachy because the episode basically makes it look like this, this craft of society is evil and wrong and effectively does nothing to really show the other side of the equation. That's why I spent so much time trying to explain the other side of the equation. I hope I've succeeded at that. Because the very next thing that happens is Jordy mentions, yeah, so I'd be dead in your society. I would have been terminated as a child, or as a baby, excuse me. Excuse me, not even that. As a fetus, in the womb, I would have been terminated. 
wouldn't have even allowed to be born. Why? Because I'm blind. We can't have blind people. How do we want to live, force someone to live with a, a horrible disfigurement of not being able to see? That gets into all sorts of topics that I don't want to touch, by the way. But I mention it because the episode is just way too ham-fisted on that side of the argument. It's very clear. I've talked before about how Star Trek preaches now and again. This is an example of preaching. This, almost this entire episode is an example of preaching. And if you doubt me, shortly after, Jordy has the idea to use the very concept of his visor to help amplify the tractor beam in order to make sure that it can push the ridiculously dense solar fragment in order to save the colony. They're all excited, they're all happy, and then Jordy... Jordy LaForge, I remind you, one of the nicest, most affable people in Starfleet, can't help but rub it in. Oh, yeah, if you, oh, isn't that just perfect? He's so happy to rub it in, too. Like, yeah, if, I, if the thing that's going to save your people wouldn't have even existed in your society. Suck it! Like, he doesn't say that last part, but he might as well. That's what I mean by preachy, by the way. Preachiness is usually about severity, I've noticed. Like, if someone says, this could be good, well, that's not preachy. If someone says, this is always good and you should do this, well, then that's preachy, right? See, it's severity. Anyways, so then we have the Troy romance, and then Troy breaks up. Whew! Ah, sorry, I had a little whiplash there. It was a little too quick. And then the engineers are standing by. They come die. They do all this thing, blah, blah, blah. The threat of the week... I want to mention something really quick. The thread of the week is actually surprisingly interesting to me. I think that was an accident because it is a very... It's a very science fiction thing, but it's a very science thing. You know what I mean? It's not some super unbelievable thing that is doused in technobabble, although there is technobabble involved in the solution. It's just, that's a stellar fragment, which is very, very dense. They can't move it because they just don't have the physics to support that. And if they can move it even a tiny little bit, as long as they move it early enough, they'll be able to move it far enough away that its impact on the colony will be less. All of that is perfectly logical. You notice they only move it by 1.2 degrees. I say only. That is, of course, huge. But that's the point. I feel like they actually got a real science advisor on a, in on this one, and they were just like, how do we do this? And they're like, oh, just do this. And, okay, so we need to move it like 30 degrees. And I just imagine the science advisor just laughing, like, 30 degrees, you're high. No, <laughs> no, you need to move this thing like 1.2 degrees. Oh, okay. We can write that in, just scroll, 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 1.2. It was just nice. I, I just like it when the threat of the week is something that's actually fully believable. Keep in mind that they moved it a little bit and still had to reinforce the colony, too, so it's not like this was an easy fix. And they nearly destroyed the Enterprise and practically killed several people on board in order to try and get this thing moving, too, so that's, that's relevant as well. Which I point out, of course, because it's, it's fascinating how the last part of the episode is still preachy in the opposite direction. We were more damaging to that colony than the star was. No, no, I think the star was more damaging. I'm pretty sure the nightmarish earthquakes, which would have literally swallowed people in cracked rock, would probably be more damaging than you guys. I'm sorry, I get the point you're trying to say. You're going too far with it. I, I do hyperbole, too. We all do it. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. So, because, yeah, the last half of the episode is, oh, my God, this is so damaging. This will destroy the colony and we'll never survive and everything will be doomed. We've ruined them all. And, Captain, I never should have gotten involved with them. Oh, my gosh, this is why the Prime Directive exists. I, I wanted to smack Picard when he said that, by the way. Riker's counterargument was also, one thing you'll notice, this is another sign of a writer being preachy. 
he'll make the he or she will make the counter argument um, either the wrong counter argument or an invalid counter argument or basically something that doesn't counter argue. To wit, Picard says, "Oh, this is why the prime directive is so important." And Riker says, "Oh, the prime directive doesn't apply. They're human." That is not true, Riker. <laughs> That's not even remotely connected to the topic. That's like saying, uh, God, I don't know. The, the Prime Directive says I should never hug this whale. Oh, it doesn't apply because I've got this uh, Dayquil next to me. Those are unconnected facts. <laughs> this, this is not... Oh, God damn it. Anyways, point being that they then are like, ah, we have ruined their society, damaged their society, destroyed their society. And at least in the interest of fairness, they have. But the overemphasis is what bothers me. There's even this bit where the guy says, please don't leave, and they have the, the, the stirring speech scene between Connor and Picard. And Pic Connor and Picard argue back and forth with each other. Neither of them has a point. They're basically just circling. That's what I call it. I don't know what the proper term is. It's when two people are on different sides of a debate and don't add anything to debate and don't change each other's minds and don't change their own minds, so they just circle, right? It's just... And that's what they do. Again, there is a surprisingly interesting and valid topic here. You could have done the entire episode on this topic that's brought up as an, as an addendum towards the end of the episode. That is the topic of asylum. Now, the right to asylum is something that's been true in real-life history for a, a very long time, but always has been applied, let's just say there's no hard and set rules for how asylum works. And with good reason. Because asylum is something that you say, all right, I'm taking you in and protecting you from wherever you're from, usually from another country, which applies obviously in this case. But asylum can, can entangle things so much. If I am France and you are Australia and we're at war and one of your people wants asylum, I might be automatically inclined to grant that person asylum because I'm getting them away from my enemy, you. But at the same time, I have to consider that this might be a trap by you to get one of you into me, right? This is all, or let me do another way. Let's say I'm France, and you're Australia. I don't know why France and Australia are fighting. And Alaska over there, bear with me, says, I'd like to, I'd like to have someone granted asylum. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, sure. But then Australia steps in and says, no, we would rather you not. Am I now going to be more or less inclined to grant them asylum based on that? Maybe I find out that this person from Alaska actually has information on Australia, which could be very damaging to Australia. Now you might think, well, obviously in the interest of my nation, since I'm at war with you, I might do that. Well, let's remove the war. How about I'm just France, you're Australia, Alaska wants asylum with me because Australia is seeking them because they have information on Australia. We're not at war now. Now what do I do? You could see, I'm just covering the surface level here, but you could see how asylum is actually a very uh, difficult, complex, and political topic. So, and that's just with made-up crap. I mean, in this case, we have a very clear example. This society is a house of cards. They never describe it as that. I, they, they missed the opportunity, in my opinion, to use that analogy, because they could have literally just one, one card removed and... Right? It is so interconnected and interdependent that it is not capable of functioning, as it currently is, under other circumstances. It would, by definition, have to adapt in order to be able to function at all. And there are people who are seeking asylum. Keep in mind, they're not just saying, I want to go. That's the important part. They're specifically saying, please, I request asylum. Get me off this rock. They're not going to let me go. Please, please help me escape. Right? 
And Troy and Jordy both have a decent amount of arguing back and forth. It's probably the closest we have to an actual debate on the topic. Jordy pretty much flat out says these are people they have the right to choose. He's right. And Troy flat out says they're part of a society which will not cease to properly function without them. And she's right. And this, of course, can then gray into a whole topic of, well, what do we do about society versus individual? What is more important, the society or the individual? At what point does the society or the individual become more important than the other? Because there's set points, right? <laughs> there's so many different ways to look at this topic, and they basically just gloss over it and say, no, I'm leaving. <laughs> but what I really like is I sat down, I was looking at my notes here, and without really thinking about it, I just jotted down social adaption or suppression of choice. Because that is, the, that is the decision. Does the society adapt, or does the individual no longer have the ability to make the choice? Is the choice suppressed? That is the decision which is being debated here. The reason I found that so funny, and I just jotted this down as an aside, is because both of those are what the society already does, or rather doesn't do. Let me explain what I mean by that. This is already a society that refuses to adapt and that regularly suppresses choice. In other words you can kind of see how the society itself is already leaning heavily on one side of that debate. That That's what I was trying to get across. And it's, it's of course, Ron Canada's character, uh, Martin, whatever his name is, he should have a valid argument there, like I said. Instead, it's more like, you can't leave, you can't leave, you can't leave. And that's pretty much the extent of his argument. Why not be something along the lines of, we're not sure if we're going to be able to feed everyone without these people. We're not sure if we're going to be able to actually be able to provide medical aid for these people if you go. What about we not be, might not be able to get the power fa factory working, whatever it is we use to generate power here, without these workers who are specifically designed to work and engineer in these sections, thus meaning we might have power fluctuations. There are real tangible consequences that could be levied as a consequence of these people leaving, and none of that is even mentioned. For the record, I would have granted them asylum. Let's just go ahead and get that out there. I, I usually like to fence it, but no. Freedom of choice. Boom. But I do think the debate should be had, and I think this is a legitimate dilemma. And it's worth noting that I am backseating that, and I had plenty of time to come to that decision. These people, not really. I will say this, one last comment before I move on. Connor says, just give me six months. Probably one of the only intelligent things that is said in response to that is by the woman, uh, Miss Hannah, Hannah Bates, who says, no, you're going to use that six months to try and coerce us and change our mind. And I agree. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say you are in a class of people, and this class is a bunch of people. You don't want to be part of this class. And you publicly and openly say, I'd like to leave. Screw this place. I'm out. Peace. And they say, give us six months. You, you see where I'm going with this, right? That's going to utterly change the social dynamic because they all now know that you don't want to be there. And there's going to be harshness and there's going to be word tossing and there might actually be literal violence depending on the individuals. I don't, I'm not saying there would be in this stage, but you get why that could be a problem. There are so many cases in which that would cause the dynamic to shift utterly and completely. And that's ignoring what she obviously brought up, that they would be tr that the people who cared about getting her to would basically be trying to force her to, to, to be convinced to stay at whatever level of extremity they feel like going to, to try and coerce her to do that. No, that would have been an incredibly stupid reason to stay. What would have been more, uh, if he really was this great leader, just to be blunt about this, you know what he should have said? In six months, come back. 
You don't have to stay back. But after six months, come home. Let's talk about it then. That's what I would have done. Say, you want to leave? Do so. But please, please, book passage, arrange a ship to come back here in six months. We'll see how we're doing. You'll see how you're doing. And then once we have both experienced the, you know, the, the absence and the, and, the, and the adaptation that is necessary, then we can decide who actually stays and who goes. But hey, at least they didn't all die to a solar fragment and horrifying earthquake. So that's good, right? I, I got nothing else. I hope you enjoyed my thoughts, at least. I know this episode strays into controversial territory, so I hope I'm not going to get too much hate mail in the comment section. But otherwise, I will see you guys next time.